1: Take a trip into the near future with me, a future where Amtrak service looks less like the slow old system that we all know, and more like the bullet trains that whisk people across countries like Japan and France.
2: This is what I think of as normal high-speed rails. New York to Washington in an hour 45, maybe an hour 40. New York, Boston, about the same. New York, Philly should be 40, 45 minutes apart That's Alon Levy,
1: who has spent a lot of time thinking about how to improve train service. Alon is a mathematician by training, but they're working now on something called the Transit Costs Project at New York University. The project keeps track of how much similar train projects cost in different countries. And Alon is also an advocate for how American train travel should be, what I would call train utopia.
2: Ideally, I enter the train station maybe five minutes before the train departs. You can buy in an advance and reserve a seat. If you're with a friend, you can reserve seats together. Amtrak doesn't let you do it right now. There's lots and lots of capacity, so you don't need to charge really high prices to avoid the train getting full. Let's say New York and Boston might be $49. Trains are going to be very frequent, and the reason is that the Northeast Corridor is enormous. How many people live there? It's, what, 50 million people between four enormous metropolitan areas? So instead of having to wait two hours or having to wait an hour, you would be waiting 15 minutes.
1: What would it cost to realize this travel fantasy on the Northeast Corridor between Boston and Washington? Well, Alan, the person who spends all day every day running the numbers— the person who runs a complete database of all the world's train projects and how much they cost alan says 15 billion maybe 20 as it happens congress is set to give amtrak 30 billion for the northeast corridor part of a 66 billion dollar grant for the network nationwide so what are we getting for what the white house calls the greatest investment in amtrak's 50 year history
2: i can't even tell what amtrak's plans are because the plans they've seen come from a bunch of different studies on this and these studies have escalating cost figures it's frustrating in 2009 they said for 10 billion dollars we can improve on time performance a little bit and fix the maintenance backlog (laughs) <laughs> and um, and, and maybe speed up the trains by by a couple minutes. Fix the, and fix
1: the maintenance backlog. That's the kind of stuff that really gets me excited about trains.
2: Yeah, and just they, they like using the expression resilience or they like using the expression state of good repair, both of which are excellent opportunities to spend money without having anything to show for it.
1: Are they actually saying that with $30 billion, they're going to make the trains run faster between New York and Washington or no?
2: But a few minutes.
1: Today on the show, why the hell does America spend so much money and get so little when it builds trains? I'm Henry Grabar, in for Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next TBD. Stick with us. Part of the bipartisan infrastructure deal, Congress is planning to give $30 billion for the highly trafficked Northeast Corridor. But for $30 billion, Amtrak isn't giving the Northeast true high-speed rail that could crush travel emissions and bring Americans closer together. It's not running trains every 15 minutes, or lowering fares, or letting you board a train without waiting in a supermarket line. $30 billion is the amount Amtrak has allotted for one single project, Gateway. Gateway would restore the aging tracks that bring commuters from New Jersey to New York City, rebuild an existing tunnel, construct a second tunnel, and expand Penn Station. So instead of getting the system that Elan outlined, which is to say super fast travel times and low fares and high frequencies on all these routes between um, these cities where lots of people ride trains, we're basically Planning to spend half this money, like $30 billion, on one tunnel and some associated projects around it?
4: Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good summary of, of what sort of the critics are, are saying, yes.
1: That's Eric Goldwyn, Alan's colleague at the Transit Costs Project. According to Alan and Eric's database, the Gateway Project's one tunnel is among the most expensive train tunnels ever built. It's going to cost $11 billion dollars. Per mile, that's twice as much as London's state-of-the-art new Crossrail tube line, and five times as much as Paris's Line 1 extension, which will bring driverless subway trains into the banlieue What's gone wrong here? Why are we building things at, at a cost that is so much higher than peer countries? Or maybe another way to say it is, is this normal? Is this a normal amount of money to pay
4: for one tunnel under the Hudson River? Right. So I, I think, you know, we use the term peer a bit loosely. So from like a a GDP per capita standpoint, sure, we have peers, Europe or, you know, developed parts of Asia, things like that. But in terms of rail infrastructure, we are not peers with with these other countries. They are way ahead of us. America's been building trains
1: for 100 years. And we used to be kind of good at building things, right? I mean, at least that's sort of our reputation. Um, So what happened? What went wrong here?
4: Yeah. So I think you know the history of railroading, America absolutely was at the vanguard in the 1900s. And then I think when the Japanese introduced the, their high-speed rail, the Shinkansen, it sort of caught not just America, but other a lot of countries flat-footed. And so we did try in, in the 70s in America to catch up to the Japanese. And the French also started their investigations into high-speed rail around that time. And you know, it's just that we we didn't we didn't actually do it.
1: America basically turned its attention elsewhere, and while that was happening here, countries like Korea were looking at Japan and France and taking notes.
4: They looked at what was going on all over the world. They looked at things like tunnels and viaducts and the diameter of tubes and the technology of the the rolling stock and the the power source and the track gauge. And they did the field work and they they, they collected all of the sort of the details and sort of said, okay, this is what these places have done. They brought in French experts to help them with the things that they didn't have the capabilities in. They developed that capacity. Um, And so what you see over time is projects improve. And in the Korean example, you see tunnel diameters shrinking over time. You see the the turning radii uh, reducing over time so that the total envelope that the project fits in is smaller and consumes less land. Um, And it just takes, you know, practice uh, at doing this stuff to get it right. It's reassuring to know that there is a learning curve, that other
1: countries have started badly and then found their footing on this.
4: Yeah. And I think that that's not it's not just about railroading. It's about pretty much any industry. You can't really take a break for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years and expect to be able to perform at the highest level and compete against the countries that are sort of in the lead in those things. You hear about these various
1: factors that might be dragging America down when it comes to building competitive projects, and Mm -hmm. I've heard about design and labor and environmental regulations, overlapping jurisdictions, political meddling, nimbyism, like, you name it. But it sounds like one thing you're saying is that all of those things can kind of be put under the umbrella Of a lack of public sector expertise and experience and you know we just need to start doing it right to get better at doing it
4: that's right i think you know if we had sort of a plan and a vision that said okay this is what we need to do and this is how we're going to do it and you know this is sort of the best way to do it sorting out some of the regulatory pieces becomes a bit easier. But if you sort of work backwards without sort of that strong, clear vision, things fall apart very quickly. Things devolve to, okay, well, what can I get done? Like, what is sort of an implementable project? And if you read some of the language of transit legislation, you know, oftentimes there's an emphasis on, okay, well, what will be operable? And what is operable is not always what is best.
1: When we come back, when you start with what can we get done, you end up with not much.
3: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: By AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show.
0: There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok.
4: This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now.
1: I guess what you're saying is, um, people see $66 billion for Amtrak and they say, wow, like finally a big investment in Amtrak. But you see that and you say, if only that money could be spent in a way that was consistent with international best practices, we would get so much more
4: for it. Yes, that's exactly right. Like the whole sort of, you know, reason for the research that I do and that that we do in our group is to get more transit infrastructure per dollar spent so that we can get to A point where we are providing that anywhere to anywhere connectivity because you can't scale a project at several billion dollars a mile right you're only ever going to be able to build a mile or two at a time you know our our cities and our regions are just much larger than that and that's the real frustration
1: in a way it's sort of a catch-22 like we haven't built any of this so we don't know what we're doing so it costs so much to build it every time so we don't get to build a lot of it because it costs so much. So we don't get that practice that we would need to finally, you know, get in
4: shape, so to speak. Right, absolutely. You know, I, I was I was interviewing someone about Second Avenue Subway recently, and this was someone who, who'd worked the agency since the 1970s. And basically what, what this person had, had mentioned to me was that, you know, they, they basically shut all expansion talks and projects down in the 70s, and it didn't really get sort of revitalized until the 1990s. And by that time, you'd had, you know, people retiring, a lot of internal knowledge sort of disappearing. And so you had to, again, build it back up. And I think what is maybe a silver lining or something to be optimistic about is that ultimately, like building high-speed rail is something that has been done in lots of countries, building subways and and metros and, and those types, it's been done in lots of places. And so that expertise is out there. It's not Like trying to figure out the Google algorithm or something like that, that is abstruse. We can find it, it's out there. We just need to empower the right people to get moving on this stuff.
1: One particularly distressing chapter in the recent history of American trains is the California High Speed Rail Project. Trains were supposed to link Los Angeles and San Francisco in two hours and 40 minutes at a cost of $40 billion. Voters approved the idea in 2008. Thirteen years later, the cost has doubled. And there is no timeline for finishing the project. Having compiled this exhaustive database of what other countries are able to achieve with the amount of money that we spend on a comparative pittance of infrastructure, do, do you do you think about this a lot in your daily life? Like, is there a moment where you're passing through a bus station or a train station and you're like, ugh?
4: Um, well, I, I mean, I do think about it a lot in my daily life. I live in New York and— uh, when the second Avenue subway phase one launched, I went, you know, on opening day. And when the seven train extension opened up, I also went on opening day and, you know, you look at them and and the stations are they're underground cathedrals, you know, in in my view, like they're enormous and they have wonderful mosaics and expansive mezzanines and and all that stuff. And and so I think it's pretty clear. You understand why this stuff is so expensive. You're kind of like, Oh, it's enormous. Um, and, and and that just costs money. And I think, you know, I think that that's okay. I just think the conversation needs to be had that, okay, if we build this these enormous stations, it means we're not gonna build it, uh, a Second Avenue subway that goes up to 125th Street. We're only gonna be able to build this small phase between, you know, 1997 and 2017, rather than building much more. For this to get better, someone needs to care about making
1: it better. I've spoken to the CEO of Amtrak about this, and I even asked him about the Gateway Tunnel. And I used some of the cost comparisons that you guys have put out, looking at how this project compares to something that might get done in London or Paris or Madrid. And he just basically said, eh, he didn't really buy it. He didn't really buy that this was actually out of line with international best practices in a way that wouldn't fly in one of those places
4: so what do we have to do to even get people in power to admit that there's a problem here? It is curious how expensive this stuff is and how the costs, even in the domestic cases have just gone up and up and up from project to project. I think if you look at sort of, um, LA's purple line as it just a, a quick example, it, it's currently three phases, but each subsequent phase is increasing. I think, you know, um, Phase one, which should come online in the next couple of years, is about five hundred million dollars per kilometer. But then Phase three, which you know is you know maybe a decade out or something like that, it's pushing a billion dollars a kilometer. And so even if you just looked at that, you'd you say, okay, well, let's forget about what's going on in Spain. Let's forget about what's going on in Korea. Let's forget about what's going on in, in, in France. Just by looking at what's going on in Los Angeles, or just what's going on in New York, you can see that subsequent iterations of projects are more expensive than the projects that came before and and greater than the rate of inflation. It's pretty obvious from that we are not doing so well. Right. So instead of getting better, we're actually getting worse. From a cost perspective, I would say yes.
1: Eric, thank you so much for for taking a minute to talk with us.
4: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for reaching out.
1: Eric Goldwyn is a program director at the Marin Institute of Urban Management at NYU. Alon Levy is a fellow at the Marin Institute. They lead the Transit Cost Project, along with Alif Ansari. That's our show for today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch and Allison Benedict. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I want to take a minute to suggest you go back and listen to Wednesday's episode of What Next, about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Mary Harris will be back on Monday, and Lizzie will be back in the host chair on Friday. I'm Henry Grabar. Thanks for listening.